2: Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine.
1: And I'm Danny Murphy. You know, we're your partners in Wine, Crime, and Time. And Sarah, we have a very special guest joining us this week, who when we saw this podcast coming out, we both immediately texted each other, oh, we got to talk to
2: her. Oh, 100%. We're so excited to be joined by Ashley Randall, the co-host of the new podcast from Sony Music Entertainment, Smokescreen, My Fugitive Dad. Ashley, thank you so much
1: for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, We are so excited to talk to you and I feel, I don't know if this was the plan, this podcast really comes out at a perfect time because it's a time when a lot of families get together and I feel after one or two many eggnogs, people just start revealing things and you kind of know that to an extreme degree, kind of.
0: (laughs) Just just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) A
1: little bit, a
2: little bit. Ashley, I mean, the title I feel gives it away so I don't think that's a spoiler.
0: (laughs) It's called My Fugitive Dad.
2: Yes. So you basically (laughs) learned on his deathbed that your dad was a fugitive, as the title implies. Can you like walk us through that moment that you hear this confession?
0: Yes. So it was spring of 2021. And my dad, about a month earlier, had been diagnosed with a really severe form of lung cancer. So he was home. Mom and I were taking care of him. And we were just sitting in the living room one day. And he looked over at us in his sort of nonchalant dad way and said, ladies, because that's what he called us, (laughs) his ladies. And he said, just in case it comes up, I don't want you to be blindsided. But when I moved here, I actually changed my name. And the authorities might still be looking for me. So just so you know, I don't really want to talk about it, but that's what happened. And back to TV. Uh, <laughs> th- uh, uh, w- w-
1: what exactly, like, I, cause I feel I even like you explaining that has me at a loss for words. What did you even do? Like, h- how did you process that in real time? Cause I mean, you can't process that in real time. That takes time to digest.
0: Honestly, at first I thought this is such a terrible dad joke because <laughs> my dad is just known for his awful, but yet amazing dad jokes. So for a a few moments, I just thought like, weird timing, Tom, but okay. (laughs) And then I realized that he was actually being serious. Mm. And I mean, we, we sort of left it, but then the next day I thought, if this is true, then my dad isn't Tom Randall. Who's my dad? As his child at bare minimum, I deserve to know his name because then is my name Ashley Randall? Like, what's Randall? So he and I talked the next day and I said, I get that you maybe don't want to talk about it, but you don't get to drop a bombshell. Like, I changed my name. Authorities might be after me. And then that's the end of it. So he ended up telling me his name and he said, you know, my name is Ted Conrad. And he asked me not to look into it because he's like, I just don't want you to know what I did. And I said, maybe. Like I, how do you not? I, right? I was like, Wait, maybe. that's the
1: thing where you're know, like, I'm an adult now. You can't just give me this rule. So I got through the whole day. I mean, I wasn't gonna Google
0: him like sitting next <laughs> to him, uh, but finally, I think it was two thirty in the morning that night, and I just couldn't sleep. And I looked him up. And I put in Ted Conrad, and I don't think anything popped for that. Then I put in the word missing, and then it was just a Google page of crazy headlines with like, vault teller, Rob's bank, fugitive on the run, decades later, Marshall's still after him. And I thought, oh my God, this is my dad. He's a fugitive? And then like, no joke out loud to my empty bedroom said, My Life is a Lifetime
1: movie. Uh,
0: No, literally. Wait, also, how
1: much Irish is in your DNA?
0: I believe that I am a quarter Irish.
1: Okay, because I was going to say, it gives very Irish to be like, this is this bomb I'm going to drop, but now let's not talk about it. Because I was like, okay, that's very much that.
0: That's that's very classic Tom in general. My dad was one of those people who just was like,
1: this is what it is, everything will be fine, and we move on. And I feel like it is a thing, because I am kind of wondering, obviously, with this podcast, if you had a relationship or an interest in watching kind of stories like that, like you said, my life became a Lifetime movie. Was that content you watched before? And now you're like, oh my God, the hours I spent watching Oxygen, I'm now breathing the Oxygen Oxygen. I mean, who doesn't love a good
0: Lifetime movie? Like, that is my wheelhouse. Like, the face on the milk carton, classic Lifetime. (laughs) We were watching NCIS when, I mean, and not to say that that spurned it, but like, that was just a show we watched. My dad loved procedural cop shows. So was it (laughs) NCIS, Castle, Bones, all about investigating crime. Also,
1: give him credit for watching that So Chill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) His favorite show. (laughs) Well.
2: (laughs) I feel like we have to ask this, and and if it's a spoiler for the podcast, let us know, but looking back is there anything that makes you go like
0: "Mm, okay maybe i maybe the signs were there so there were things that looking back i don't think ah yes clearly should have seen you were a fugitive (laughs) but there were definitely moments when looking back it makes sense so in high school we had an opportunity, uh, my French class, to go to France. And it was partially subsidized through the school because there's no way we would have ever been able to go to Europe if it weren't like a school trip. And they had said, parents can be chaperones. And my mom's like, yes, sign me up. Let's go to France. Tommy, you come too, school trip, but family trip to France. And his response was, meh, I don't really want to go to France You girls go have fun. I'll watch the house and stay with the cat. Mm. (laughs) And at the time I thought, weird choice, dad, but okay. But I look back now and realize, no, he could not have gone to France because he doesn't have a birth certificate. So he couldn't get a passport.
1: And also that is one of those things where you're like, okay, guess he just doesn't want to go on the trip. And like, you could even think, okay, a trip with a bunch of high schoolers. Yeah, probably hell for an adult in Europe. But you're like, oh no, this would have been a different type of hell uh, for him to experience. And I also, I, I think I read in an interview that you said, you also kind of had a different relationship with Like he kind of, you were the one where like he gave you the whole truth and nothing, but or more of the truth than everybody else in your family.
0: Yeah, I don't know that anyone ever got the full truth. Oh, full
1: truth. But, <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> but I think that, and I, we just had a really close relationship. I mean, from when I was a little kid, I was such a daddy's girl. When I was young, and we would go on special daddy-daughter dates. But as I got older, I think he just found it easier sometimes to share things with me because I was his daughter, and maybe there were things that he was worried might. Troubled my mom more. I mean, my mom and I are both super open about the fact that we both struggle with a lot of anxiety, just in different ways. So I might get thirty or forty percent of a story. Mom might get twenty.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. No
0: one, no one got a hundred. <laughs> That's so fair. And I feel like we got to talk about the podcast.
2: What made you just decide to do this project?
0: So when the news first broke about my dad, and that was November of twenty twenty one, that was just shy of six months after he passed and our world kind of blew up. I mean, it was like news reporters all over the lawn and our phones wouldn't stop ringing and emails. And it was crazy. And when you looked up my dad at that point, like if you typed in Tom Randall pre the story breaking, there might've been some articles about him golfing in tournaments because he was an amazing golfer. And if you golf, you'll know what I mean. When I say he was a scratch golfer, like he was just, Fantastic. And that was sort of his online footprint. But after the story broke, kind of, and completely out of our hands, because Mum and I had told nobody, there was like an anonymous tip that somebody had sent to a crime reporter who then sent it to the marshals. So it was essentially within four days, we found out the marshals knew they were at our house. Four days later, the story broke it it really just felt like i was losing my dad all over again because when you looked up tom randall what came up instead google like corrects it and now at the top of the page it says theodore j conrad and it's just page after page of my dad as a criminal and a fugitive and i thought yes that's my dad right like he is ted conrad and then he became tom randall but I didn't want him to be erased by this one day in July of 1969. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more.
2: So ask yourself,
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price priceline.
2: Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's olly.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
0: When I met Jonathan Hirsch, who is my co-host on this project, and an incredible journalist, investigator, writer, I mean, if anyone's listened to the first episode, you know, He's phenomenal. When I first talked to him, he was the first person that really wanted to dig into who my dad was and really get into the psychology of the crime. And what does it mean to be a criminal living as a fugitive for over 50 years? He saw beyond the headlines of, kid watches the Thomas Crown Affair, fast cars, pretty ladies. (laughs) And he really wanted to know who my dad was. He was the first person to look at this story The way that I was looking at it. And I knew I'd found someone to tell this story the right way and have somebody to go on this journey with, because it
1: is emotional. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I also feel like with that too, it's not just finding out about the crime, but also the kind of life before the crime. You know what I mean? Because were there moments where, I know you said you only would get like 30, 40% of stories, but- when you were growing up, was he really open about his childhood and everything? Like, were like, you know, did you, were you able to learn more about that? Were there times where you're like, Oh, he was just telling stories, but changing his name or he just didn't. He was just a guy. It's like, life was good. I met your mom type of stuff. That was a very good impression of (laughs) (laughs) Tom.
0: Life was good. Then I met your mom. There's where my life started. (laughs) He (laughs) really, he, he talked about his childhood In a sort of like neutral way, I never heard stories except for one. I knew that his mom was an accomplished violinist. And I play the piano and I sing, and he would always say, you know, that's where you get your musical talent from. And he would tell one story about how when he was a kid, His mom, I believe at the time was playing in a string quartet and they would have rehearsal at the house and they would be practicing in the living room and he would sit on the stairs right outside the living room and he would just listen to her. And he said that those, Hmm. those were some of the happiest moments of his childhood. But that's the story I know from my dad of his childhood. When I was growing up, he said he was an only child. He said that he didn't have any extended family and that his parents died in a car crash when he was 18. So he just left where he was living with one suitcase. It was too painful to be there. He didn't bring any stuff with him because it was too difficult and just restarted in Boston. Yeah. And you don't really push that, right? The, the people that he met when he first got here, the friends that knew him really from the summer of 1970. They said, he seemed like a really sad kid. We liked him. He was so nice and kind and fun. And we were so happy to have met him and have him become one of our best friends. But we weren't going to push him on his story because it's sad.
1: That's gotta, you, you would feel a little heartless if you meet someone like, yeah, my family died at a car crash. so I just moved here alone. It's like, okay, well, where's the obituary? You know what I mean? You can't really be like, well, show me the proof. You kind of yeah. just accept truth as that. Yeah,
0: you're not going to be like, tell me more. I'm going to need some yeah. details.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: And I know you mentioned that you deal with anxiety sometimes. Like, what is your, what was your dad's demeanor? Like, was he just a chill? I can't imagine keeping a secret like this.
0: I would be a, for mess. a day. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my mom and I were kind of a mess for six plus months, you know, because we were going to keep this secret. Obviously, he told us, I think I was asked yesterday by a reporter, you know, when your dad told you, was there a moment where you and your mom thought... Oh, we should call the authorities. And I said, absolutely not. No. Like, he could have somehow made a miraculous recovery. And Kathy and I would have kept that secret till forever, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's my dad and I would protect him or my mom from anything I could. We had decided that we were going to wait like a year so that we could get through that first year of grieving But even those first few months, you just, I'd be out and I'd be like, what if someone knows? I don't know how they'd know, but what if they do? And then the day the U.S. Marshals showed up, oh, it was like anxiety through the roof. And then thankfully by the end of that conversation, I had calmed down. But my dad was the chillest guy you'd ever meet in anything. I never saw him stressed. I never saw him get angry. He was just like, Everything's going to be fine. It's cool. Like he was just the most calm, easygoing, and he was also the person that you could go to when you were freaking out. Like I remember being in school and having massive school projects and being like everything's too much and oh, I don't even know what to do and he would just calm me down in like 3 seconds. He'd be like it's all going to be fine. What's the first step? You just start with step 1 and we'll do that. And then we move on to step 2. Like I don't know how he carried this. I mean, I think the way, I mean, the way that we talked about it was he really never looked back. It's that terrible coping mechanism where you put things in a box (laughs) and you put that box on a shelf and then you're like, that box doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, they, people think Elf on a Shelf is good. That is yeah. the that is actually the reason yeah. for the season. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> decades of trauma on a shelf. Yes. Yeah, that's what gets it going. Yeah, that's Christmas. yeah. Well- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I am curious too. Were there and I'm I mean again also because the first episode is out and everybody needs to keep on following subscribing so they get every episode. Do you get close to? Or was also was this even an avenue you wanted to go down of finding out who the anonymous? tip off was we do
0: talk about it but don't get excited because you know it is the one thing i have never been able to find out and i don't know if we ever will and i completely understand that you know for the u.s marshal service that person's a confidential informant and they don't share that and i i understand and i respect it i just wish i knew because ah you just i i mean i would want to know I will never, fi- I don't think we will ever find out, but. Would you like want to talk to that person if you knew? Yeah, I mean, and not in a confrontational way, but I would just like to know, like, I really just want to know, like, how did you know? I mean, I guess, so my dad kept his birthday. He just changed the year. So he was actually born in 49, but we always thought he was born in 47, but it was the same birthday. And he kept his parents' first names. So Ruthabeth and Edward. So I guess, I mean, for a lot of people, this is a crime that they've been covering or investigating or interested in for legitimately 50 years. I mean, not as famous as, but in the same vein as D.B. Cooper. Totally. So I guess I could understand someone who just is constantly researching, finding this obit, because the obituary was out online, and thinking, oh my gosh, the names match. The birthday matches minus the year. That's I don't true. Because there are some like great online sleuthers out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Did you guys ever watch the movie that inspired the
0: bank heist? <laughs> the Thomas Crown Affair. Shockingly, I have never seen it. <laughs> 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 my dad, I never saw him watch it. And he never talked about it. And I don't know if that was purposeful or if just by the time I was around, he was on to other movies. The one movie that I remember was always on our DVR once we had a DVR was that movie Red with like Helen Mirren and Morgan Freeman about the retired assassin spies. (laughs) Again, all his favorite stuff was like crime investigation.
1: Okay, yeah. I feel with your track record, if the informant, you might get a deathbed confessional from them too. Because you never know, maybe they give you some answers there. But I am wondering as well, because people are, I already know our audience is going to be so hooked and want to check this out. Can you give a dive into like kind of the process, like the episode arcs, like is like, do you, like, what What are people going to expect from, like, episode two? Like, do you kind of, like, give a lot of first-person upbringing? Like, what's the context? Do you dive right into everything? So
0: it really tells the story of two families. So we follow, and I think really well chronologically. So you're walking with us through the story as it's happening. And we get to follow John Elliott and Pete Elliott. John Elliott is the original U.S. Marshal who caught this case in 1969 and like a legend in law enforcement in Ohio. And then you meet his son, Pete Elliott, who is now the U.S. Marshal for Northern Ohio. And he took up his father's mantle in looking for my dad. So the two of them together have been searching for 50 years. And Pete Elliott is the one who knocked on my mom and I's door out of the blue on a Tuesday in November. Their story is fascinating.
1: talking to him because he kind of was the person who set you guys off on like realizing this secret is not a secret anymore. What was your, and like as someone you said with anxiety, like what was going into interviewing him? I'm sure obviously you knew him, but did that inflate, like kind of like ruffle up some old memories and stuff and feelings?
0: So when he first showed up, I knew who he was because I'd been reading all the articles and I knew who Pete Elliott was. So I think during our conversation, I even said, You know, was it you, the story where it's like you were, you'd be at home and say, Pass the mashed potatoes and where the heck is Ted Conrad? And he's like, Yep, that's my family. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, so Pete and I actually, y- you'd think it would be an adversarial type relationship, right? He was chasing my dad and then he shows up and everything gets crazy. But Pete is just, a genuinely good person. And one of the first things out of his mouth when he showed up at our house was, you are not in trouble. Like, that is not why I'm here. Mm. You know, but we do need to talk and have a conversation and there are things to talk about. And he and I have a wonderful relationship. My mom or I talk to him fairly often. That first year he checked on my mom at least once a week, like with a quick phone call, oh, because he really understood that in all of this, you know, we weren't part of the crime. And I don't want to say, you know, we're victims, but we were collateral in yeah. this. And he really is what you want all law enforcement to be. He is very straight shooting. He tells it like it is, but he's not just like out to get you. So having him on this podcast is incredible because we do have this Great friendship almost. I mean, I called him before I decided to do this podcast because I had talked to Jonathan Hirsch and I thought, this guy gets it. I think this is, I think I found my project. But I needed to do a quick check with Pete because I knew that Jonathan had talked to Pete. So I actually called Pete Elliott and said, hey, I've just talked to this journalist, Jonathan Hirsch. This is what the project's about. I think I want to do it. What do you think? And actually asked Pete for his advice. And he's always said the same thing, which is he thinks that Jonathan is a great guy. And he thought that this would be good for me to do because he knew how important it was for me to tell the world who my dad was beyond the kid who pulled a bank heist. So I think, I mean, I talked to him yesterday (laughs) and he's interesting. He's so interesting. You'll be fascinated and just want to learn more about him and his whole family, because they're great.
1: Okay, I'm glad that you, A, that he was able to step in in so many ways, and that you did have him on for us to learn more. And I feel like he said, it's important for you to do this, because you want to tell the story about your dad. But I also feel, and this probably was like maybe a comforting thing that I'm assuming maybe has happened to you here and there, where there are other people who've been in your shoes, where maybe not the exact like, this exactly happened to me, but like, I'm right there with you, like, has this, and obviously, be, I mean, your story's been out for a little bit, and the podcast is just premiering, but have you gotten messages like that, or are you expecting to kind of get, and if you haven't, are you expecting, or like, would you hope to maybe get some messages to let people know, like, eh, we're, all, we're in this together, in this very weird realm together?
0: Yeah, I think that's the other piece of this podcast, is it's part, you know, John and Pete and the authorities you know, spending their life looking for my dad. And then the other part of this story is, you know, my mom and I sort of unwittingly living a lie for, I mean, essentially Mm. my whole life Mm -hmm. and my journey in trying to discover what are these missing pieces about my dad? And can I reconcile Ted Conrad with Tom Randall? Because the stories of Ted Conrad, the bank robber and Tom Randall, my dad, they're obviously connected, but at the beginning, they really were two different people for me. And going on this journey, I'm definitely a different person today than I was a year ago when I started. And I think it's incredibly relatable, whether your parent was a fugitive or not, <laughs> to to realize that, you know, people have secrets and how much do you really know about them? And your parents are people, but at the end of the day, You can't just judge a person or create their whole character on one day of their life. We are a million experiences and a million interactions. And there's a whole story. There's a huge scope versus just this little pinpoint of a moment, although it's a fascinating moment. I mean, I'm still fascinated and it's my dad and it's my life, but I listen to this podcast and sometimes I forget that it's me talking. I'm like, wow, what's going to happen next? Like, you know <laughs> this, Ashley. You know this. Like, Get that compartmentalization off the yeah. shelf, put it back in your
2: brain. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> well, I feel like it's, of course, no small thing to just uproot your life one day and never look back. And I feel like the question lingering is for your dad, and I wonder like, if he spoke to you about this,
0: was it worth it? You know, for him, We found out in talking to him, and I won't give too many spoilers because, you know, want to listen, but I think the big narrative is he loved Thomas Crown, he wanted to pull a bank heist, and he did it, and he got away. And he did take money and he did get away. But we learned that it wasn't necessarily just about the money. That for him it was more about really wanting to start over and leave the life that he had behind. So It wasn't so much that he was on the run as so much as he was running away. And he lands in Boston and he meets this great group of friends that my mom was actually part of. So they sort of were in each other's peripheral friend group for a good chunk of the 70s. And then they got together in the late 70s, got married, had me. And my dad always joked that when he met my mom, he knew she was the one like, he was like, Kathy is it. He never thought he'd get married until my mom. Aww. And then he never thought he wanted kids. And my mom said, that's fine. Like we don't have to have kids. And they were married for a year. And one day he just looked at her and said, yeah, like I want kids. I want the family. He loved my mom's parents, um, her mom, Dorothy, and stepdad, John. And he was like, this is my family, and I want a family. And he really found what he was looking for. And while he may have regretted having to commit a crime to sort of facilitate a restart, I know that he didn't regret the life that he built.
1: And with that, because like the life building and you saying that, like at its core too, there is a beautiful love story between him and your mom and this whole life. And how is she, can you talk to us at all, like her involvement in the podcast and also how she is feeling about the podcast and everything as well? Because it is kind of, even you saying that, that they were like, had this romantic love and they were like, let's build this family and everything.
0: Yeah. Oh, the two of them. I have a my best friend, Katie, who follows your show.
2: Oh my Um, God. Hi, Katie. Hey, Katie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We were talking one day and she said, "You know, I would be at your house and your dad would come home and he'd walk over to his desk and just look at your mom across the living room and she'd look up at him. She's like, and in that quick look, she's like, that was love. Like the two of them just in their living room. She's like, they just, they were so in love. And when all of this came out, my mom and I both understandably very shaken and it was really important for her too, that the world knew who her husband was and she wasn't some, you know, naive person who was duped by somebody that she was just so in love with him. And why would you question things that at the time don't seem like big issues? You know, him not wanting to go to France on a school trip wasn't like, well, there must be serious issues here that we have to talk about, but she's, you know, very private. I mean, as am I, says the girl who made a podcast. But (laughs) um, this podcast was really her opportunity to, in a very safe and comfortable way, talk about my dad and what he meant to her and what it was like for her to learn about his past and sort of reconcile that with moments in their relationship. So she's very excited about the podcast you get to hear a lot of kathy and she's amazing yes yes episode episode three is is very kathy heavy and she's phenomenal and as she says right now she's very excited to be watching all of this safely from the sidelines (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure yes and we're she very- might actually be listening to this right now. She asked what I was doing this morning, and I sent it to her, and she I- said, I found it. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Well, then hi, Kathy. Too. <laughs> Amazing. And we're very excited to listen, to- keep listening to the episodes, see how this story really unfolds, and just get to hear more of your
0: story. Yeah. So there. the first one is out right now, and then- A new episode comes out every Monday for free, ad-free. But if you have a subscription to The Binge or you want to get one, because I think it's like $4.99, then you can listen to all of them at once. And honestly, that's the way to do it. It's, It's like watching a movie just without the screen. The production value is incredible. The music, the sound design. I'm still shocked by how incredible it
1: is. Oh, yes. And how many episodes are there going to be, too? There will be six total. Ooh. Okay. That is perfect. Oh, my
2: God. Amazing. So, everybody, be sure to check it out. Smokescreen, My Fugitive Dad, wherever you listen to your podcasts or subscribe to The Binge. And, Ashley, is there a place people can follow you on social media as well?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I am on Instagram, and I am at the Ashley Randall. Or you just look up Ashley Randall. It's me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we love that. Thank you so much, Ashley.
0: Thank you so much for having me, guys.
1: Not Another True Crime podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Picot, Sean Kilby, and Rebecca Sosmakat. Editing by Jorge Morales-Picot. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at Not Another True Crime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send all of your emails to NATC at Betches.com.
0: Betches